In connecting the environmental impact and thinking about places that have already been heavily impacted um, by bad environmental practices, I'm also thinking about how we can think about 2016 and the Rio Olympics and the Keep Your Mouth Closed piece by Jacobs that talks about um, the water quality in Brazil, specifically in Rio. It's talking about these viruses that are in the water for a variety of reasons and how they are potentially much more dangerous for folks that have not grown up in Rio in these particular waters and, and what that means that the IOC and Brazil have allowed the games to go on in these polluted waters. And when I say polluted, I mean, I mean, there's some bad stuff, right? So the photo that the lead photo that's on canvas, there's a body floating there. That's it's a it's a place where bodies get dumped. And on top of that, there's a lot of viruses and bacteria in the water that can give you a little sickness, a little nausea or could potentially kill you. And that's a huge span. How can we know who it's safe for, how safe it is? When I think about that, I think about the events that are going to be in this water. This is, of course, not only bad for Olympians, but as Jacob writes, quote, many of the half million Olympic spectators that are expected to frolic between sporting events. And I'm thinking here also, what of the Brazilians who live in this water year round, who have advocated, who don't know how bad the water is potentially? And what we learned in the piece is the water is far more contaminated than previously thought. Which is interesting, this previously thought might have been skewed by politicians in Brazil in the interest of an Olympic Games. In its 2009 bid for the Games, it says that Brazil pledged to spend, quote, $4 billion to clean up 80% of the sewage that flows untreated into the bay, which is a majority um, of the issue of, of this, is both the oil as well as the sewage that flows into the water. It says, in the end, the state government spent just $170 million citing a budget crisis. So where the swimmers end up in Copacabana Bay is great water, it's fine. But other sports have had to develop new strategies for Rio. And they interview one of the athletes that says, we just have to keep our mouths closed when the water sprays up. So they're sailing, right? So they're not directly in the water. But even a little bit of ingesting this water could make you violently ill. There's a 2015 surfing competition that's referenced here where 25% of the participants had nausea and diarrhea. That's a really high number. And so far, the changes that had been made leading up to the Olympics, and I, I would assume after, are largely cosmetic. A municipal engineer in Rio told uh, Jacobs that, quote, they can try to block big items like sofas and dead bodies, but these rivers are pure sludge, so the bacteria and viruses are going to just pass through, end quote. So the idea that we're at the point of blocking sofas and bodies, but not making the water livable for people that have to be in Rio year-round, let alone all of these visitors that will come into the space that aren't acclimated to these particular um, viruses and bacteria, haven't built any kind of immunity, is really frustrating, especially to microbiologists like Dr. Renata Picao, who's in Rio, and she says, if they couldn't clean things up for the Olympics, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity I'm afraid it might never happen, end quote. And for someone like her who's advocating for cleaner water, who's advocating for better um, sewage systems, for folks that are living in the favelas, there's all these various issues, the oil and gas regulation, all these things are really big, these larger institutional issues of regulation, investment, and education regarding the water. And even the most upper-class neighborhoods in Brazil are affected. Their water is equally bad. There's a way that Rio could have been used as this way to actually clean the water. 
Um, but it wasn't. There were cosmetic things that did the bare minimum, and it was still unsafe for both Olympians and the folks in Rio who are in that water every day, the fishermen that is cited in the piece. And so I really want to think about how there is an opportunity to use the Olympics for environmental impact and change. But too often, what we find out is that it's not making much of a difference at all. It's doing the bare minimum in order to make the Olympics happen. And after that, the folks that live there are left with the remnants of promises not kept. So on the flip side of this, I want to think about the uh, Lieberman piece, how climate change is endangering the Winter Olympics. The flip side of this is, with the way that the world is currently, there's a need for it to be cold enough to have the Winter Olympics. There has to be enough snow. And in 2018, that was a huge issue in Pyeongchang this degraded snow. So for those of you that ski or snowboard, you know how much safer you feel when you're on like that heavy, heavy, fresh powder. It's snowing, it's all fresh, it's stacked up, it feels soft as someone that is not good at skiing or snowboarding. I need the really fresh powder so that when I fall a lot, because I do fall a lot, um, I need to be have that where you just feel like you're falling into the soft snow, right? So when snow isn't as fresh, when snow has been frozen over, it's a little icier. Um, it's, it's much scarier because it's also much slicker. It also hurts a lot more when you fall. And then finally, you have this degraded snow. Um, and at the highest elevation, what should be falling as snow is starting to fall as rain. It's not even cold enough to produce snow. The piece says that, quote, for sports contests that rely on snow and ice, a warmer global climate is no friend, end quote. And that's kind of like putting it very mildly when we think about that. And while there are much larger issues in the world related to global warming and climate change in general, I think sport gives us a really tangible lens to see it. For some folks that may not care otherwise, may not have the resources or understanding to know, someone trying to ski somewhere where there isn't snow is a very vivid example, something that you can say that's kind of undeniable in particular, or we would hope would be undeniable. And what many of the IOC and hosts cities have done previously is try to find workarounds. This isn't something that is a futuristic issue, it's something that's happening right now. In Sochi in 2014, the solution was to cancel practices, which also bring about their own set of challenges. If you don't practice enough, there is a higher risk of injury, of messing up. Canceling practices doesn't necessarily make people safer long term. There's a really troubling quote um, and a statistic here that if we don't change what's happening currently, only eight of the 21 cities that have previously hosted Winter Olympics will be cold enough to host in 2100. And even if we hit all of the Paris Agreement goals established in 2015, only 12 will be suitable by the end of the 21st century. That's our best case scenario. This has affected not only host cities, but also training facilities, where the piece says that training for the games has become complicated by these increasing temperatures. Athletes have to travel further and further to reach places where there's still enough snow and ice to train. And then, of course, the irony of that is that the carbon emissions from flying further and further, from driving further and further, are only exacerbating the larger problem. There's an aerial skier that's quoted here, John Lillis. He says, quote, you see videos of people skiing on glaciers back in the 80s and 70s, and half of that glacier doesn't even exist anymore, he says. So then I guess I want to end with thinking about some of the solutions. 
first is what the Olympics offer. They offer a site for experts to meet to solve some of these global issues. Pyeongchang had a forum on the earth and its citizens, which focused on future sustainability. There's a way that the Olympics can bring the world together for sport, but also more and more Olympics are also helping scientists bring folks from around the world, experts to help report on what they're doing, what we could do collectively, globally to help fight this. So that's one of the positive things. I want to end on a positive note. I've just been talking about doom and gloom. I also want to shout out groups like Protect Our Winters. These are nonprofit advocacy groups that raise awareness concerning climate change and winter sports. Again, sports offering a really tangible way to see the effects of what we do to the environment. And finally, I want to think about climate change activists that are also real Olympians and organizers. As we begin to think, looking ahead to next week when we think about protests and sport, I want to think about what that means for athletes to also be advocates when we think about things like climate change. I also want to think about how interesting it is that the Rio Olympics featured um, climate change science prominently in the opening ceremony. And finally, there was a climate change symposium in Rio during the Olympics where a campaign launched titled 1.5 degrees Celsius, the record we must not break. And it focused on raising awareness about the impact of global warming through a very tangible number, 1.5 degrees Celsius, which would inundate low-lying territories, affect food production, and have other social, economic, and health-related threats around the world. 1.6 degrees of warming is the best estimate for when the melting of the Greenland ice sheet becomes irreversible. It's considered the point of no return. And the face of this campaign became athletes who stand to become the first affected by the 1.5 degrees Celsius change. I'm thinking here of Richin Simeon, one of my favorite athletes from the 2016 Olympics. He's a track athlete from the Marshall Islands, a place extremely aware of the danger should the 1.5 degree marker be reached. Simeon had only competed in two track meets before representing the Marshall Islands in the 100 meters. This is due to a universality rule of the IOC which aims to make the games more inclusive, recognizing the economic and training barriers by some countries. This loophole allows participating countries to send two track athletes and two swimmers to every summer games without meeting the typically required qualifying times. Now that's beside the point because Simeon used that platform and the human interest angle as a so-called rookie, given he had very little track experience, to talk about the impact of climate change where he's from as he potentially looks ahead to Tokyo next year. So I'm going to think about that advocacy groups, athletes, and these larger scientists, collectives that are using the Olympics to, to bring about change, hopefully that will have ramifications way beyond the Olympic Games that are held every couple of years. We'll have more next week. Thanks.